men of God that are pursuing him with all of our hearts. Amen. In Jesus name. On February 24th, I turned 65 years old. And so uh, church did some incredible things. So, you know, when you when you have a birthday, sometimes people give you these birthday cards. And so our church surprised me. All the kids in kids ministry, they gave me a big old shopping bag. All of them worked two Sundays to get make me personalized birthday cards. So I read all of those. And then the youth ministry did much the same thing. Pastor Curtis made them put some money in the card. Thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and then a bunch of folks gave me cards from the church. We had cupcakes at the end of the day. But one card in particular caught my attention. And this card, out of all the cards I read, it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then when I opened it up, it said, hmm, when I see you the next time, I'm going to ask you how it was back then. <laughs> and then the person signed it. <laughs> so after service uh, last Sunday, I had a long conversation with somebody. <laughs> And I had to tell our church I'm older, but I'm not that old, okay? <laughs> so it's good to be alive, moving, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, here with you this time again. And it's always uh, great to be invited somewhere. It's gracious to be invited back. And so we thank the Lord for seeing so many familiar faces, uh, friends, and, uh, and uh, we honor the Lord. Today, as we minister... God's word. We're going to be talking about changing our world because we live in a world that needs to change. We live in a country that needs to change. And I know that we live in a church that is going through a multitude of changes. So would you join me in your Bibles this morning in Matthew chapter four? I'd like to read a few key verses here. We'd like to talk about uh, changing our world by changing ourselves. I think it's good to talk about the need for the change in the world, the need to change uh, in our children for those of us who have those. But let's talk about this in this first session this morning, changing ourselves. And then this afternoon, we want to talk about changing our choices. Amen. Because I really believe if you can change your choice, you can change your destiny. But let's talk about working on us as men changing ourselves. If you have a Bible or a digital instrument, wherever you're drawing your scriptures from, could you hold it up? Make this declaration after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I could be. I can do what it says I could do. I can have what it says I could have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better. Matthew's gospel chapter four. And we're going to look beginning now at verse number 18. And uh, we'll begin here in 18 through 23. Matthew four, 18 through 23. And it says, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother. And notice what they were doing. They were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. 
Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, notice this now, left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in a boat with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their follow, father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we see um, this beginning of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus in perpetual motion. Jesus is moving around all the places. And most, for the most part, Jesus starts his ministry in the Galilean region in northeast uh, of uh, Lake Galilee. He moves over to Capernaum. He then begins to venture out to some of the regions beyond uh, Galilee. He then begins to have people from Jerusalem come out into the wilderness and follow him. And then he begins to go back to the Galilean regions up to Capernaum again and then begins to make his track towards Jerusalem. Jesus was in perpetual motion. Most of the miracles Jesus did were on the outdoors, outside the temple, outside of a synagogue, outside of a physical building. When Jesus was in perpetual motion, he met people. And here at the beginning of his ministry, we find Jesus now in the Galilean region calling his initial followers. He finds two sets of brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. These are fishermen on Lake Galilee, which is full of fish. And when he comes up on Peter and Andrew, they are casting their nets. They're expecting to catch something. And Jesus makes this profound statement Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, you're going to go through a change and a transformational process. And then he keeps on going. And as they follow him, they left their nets. And every now and then when Jesus calls us, he will call us to leave where we were to come to where he wants to take us. He comes up on another set of brothers and they're not casting their nets, but they are mending their nets. And every now and then our nets need to be mended because we have a lot of fish that are getting through and we're not catching as many as we should. And so now do we need to cast our nets and leave our nets. But every now and then we need to mend our nets. All of this is called networking and networking. <laughs> networking is you and I working with the nets, the instruments that we use to cast our nets to become more efficient effective and productive. And even in the marketplace, people are looking through networking to become more efficient, more effective and more productive. We connect with people that have different kinds of businesses, services and different ways of doing things through networking so that we can become more efficient, do the right thing, effective, do things right and then productive so that we can multiply and increase Jesus was helping them to do networking, casting their nets, leaving their nets, mending their nets. But then he said, but then I'm going to change you. He says, if you follow me, I will make you. If you follow me, I will make you. If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, I believe that when Jesus called these men to be followers of him, his first idea 
was he was going to call, call them to be servant leaders. And many times in our kingdom, people argue, are we servants, which is the greatest place in our kingdom, or are we leaders? He leads me in the still wa- beside the still waters, and he leads me by in the green pastures. And friends, I want you to understand that in our kingdom, it's not either being a servant or a leader, but we're servant leaders. A service is the greatest place in our kingdom. And Martin Luther King once said, everybody in our kingdom can be great because everyone can be a servant. Jesus said in our kingdom, greatness is not determined by the amount of people that serve you, but the amount of people that you serve. So if you would be great, be a servant of all. So I believe initially we are servants to people. But then I believe we're also called to lead. I believe that we're called to be guides. I believe that we're called to be governors and rulers in the earth as men. And I believe that we are called to be servant leaders. But I also believe that servant leaders are not just titles, that servant leaders ought to be change agents. That when you and I show up on the scene, something ought to change. Our very presence, our very conversation ought to change atmosphere and ought to change people that are around us. You and I are change agents. I mean, when you and I read the Bible, look at the Bible as a book that talks to us about the changes that we have gone on. When we read world history, I think that we read church history and we come from the cradle of civilization that formed around the African and Middle Eastern, as we say it now, uh, a continent. And then it moves into a Jewish culture that is a dominant force on the earth. And from there it moves uh, to a Babylonian culture that is very mystical and polytheistic. And then it moves to a Greek culture that is a philosophic and wanting to know yourself. And then it moves to a Roman culture that is imperialistic and global and wanting to influence the world. It then moves into a European culture that begins to dominate the world. And then from Europe, we get the new world or the Western world. And now the change is a new emerging third world. And there are nations that have existed, but now nations that are being born even on our watch. The world has changed on our watch. And change simply means to do something different. Now, what I found out about men, men don't mind talking about change, hearing about change, reading about change, praying about change. Men just don't want to. And it's easy to talk about change, read about change, hear about change, pray about change. But what's tough is to change. And change means to become something different. And Jesus says, listen, you were working in the marketplace. He said, but follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't believe that when you and I come into Christ that you go to work to make money. You go to work to make a difference. Now, making money is a byproduct of working in the marketplace. But I just don't go to work to make money. When I follow Jesus, I go to work to make a difference. I go to work to make a difference and show the transformational nature of the Holy Spirit in my life to other people using words when necessary. I do it by lifestyle evangelism. I'm the light of the world and I demonstrate the very life of Christ. But then I also, when people ask me, why do you live like this? Then I make a difference in their life and I become something different. So change means to do something different. It means to become, that's to feel in something different. Change also means to shift from one thing to another. And you and I, we cannot be sluggish in our shift, but we must be willing to move in that way. Now, listen, change can revert back to what it was. But transformation means to change in such a way that you will never be what you were before. Change in such a way 
that you can never be what you were before. Now, I think it's fascinating to understand that once the caterpillar turns into the butterfly, it can never be a caterpillar again. It's been transformed. Once the egg is fertilized by the sperm and the baby is born, one grows into an infant from infant to toddler, from toddler to adolescence, from adolescence to adults. We are constantly changed, but we can never become an egg and sperm again. Because now there's transformation. And you're only one, you're only young once, or, uh, but you can be childish forever. And it's one thing to be childlike. It's another thing to be childish, immature. And I found out that wives, they don't mind raising children. They just don't want to raise a husband. And so there's transformation that comes. And what I find with these early disciples that Jesus called that I want to minister to us this morning is that there are shifting roles in the transformational servant leaders, transformational Servant leaders have shifting roles. And I'd like us to consider three short points this morning. And those three short points is Jesus calls these men initially to be followers. And then he transforms them into disciples. And then he sends them forth as delegated representatives called apostles. And I really believe that there's something in each one of us that God wants to initially call you as a follower. And then he wants to do a transformational work and change you into a disciple and then send you forth as an ambassador, a delegated one for him. Let's talk. When God first calls you, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what's a follower? A follower is a learner, one that is observant student and followers. Their main priority is to watch and to learn. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, brothers, what I've discovered, it's what you learn after you know everything that really counts. Men, it's what you learn after you know everything uh, that really counts. Everything we know we've been taught, but we've not been taught everything. And one of the challenges with men is that men stop learning. And Jesus says, follow me, watch and learn, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so some servant leaders move from serving in the marketplace to the ministry in the marketplace. And that is when you and I understand that when I go to work, whether it's in arts and entertainment, whether it's in business, whether it is in uh, the congregation or in the direct media, whether it's in education or in the family or in government, those seven systems, whether I go to work in any of those systems, I go there and I can go into the marketplace and I can work in the marketplace or I can go to the marketplace and I can be transformational in my nature. Servant leaders move from serving in the marketplace to ministry in the marketplace. Let me tell you how that works out. I have a lady that worked for Nationwide Insurance for years, and she was the only one that worked for that large insurance company in my church that I know. And she went from, she went from just serving in the marketplace, being a manager, to doing ministry in the marketplace. She lived in such a way and represented Christ in such a way that when I start looking at the newcomers form that I'm handed on a weekly basis of people coming into our church, one of the places that's on there is your occupation. I start seeing all these people coming in from nationwide. So I start checking in with people because I ask them, hey, when you come into our church, set an appointment with me, sit one with Pastor Dan, and uh, come in and talk so we'll know who you are. I say, how? and one of my questions is, how'd you come to Raymond Christian Center? 
And many of them will say, well, I knew this lady named Anita Dawson. And uh, she facilitated our Bible club. Nationwide Insurance permits its employees once a week to have a Bible club in one of its conference rooms. So as people go and come on their lunch breaks, they can come in this Bible and they come in there eating lunch and there's a Bible club taking place. And they said, and I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't going to church anywhere. I was really non-religious. They said, but I begin to come in and listen and learn. And they said, and as I begin to listen and learn, I begin to watch her. I watched her when she was looked over for promotion time. Watched how she responded. They said, I watched when there was racial tension in the corporation. They said, I watched how she responded. I watched when she was mistreated. And then the person that mistreated her became her supervisor, promoted over her. And she told her supervisor, she said, I'm going to make you shine because my responsibility as your subordinate is to make you look good. And they said, and one day I had to come to her and ask her, why are you doing this? And she says, the only way that you understand that is for you and I to have coffee. And we could talk about what my motivation is. Off-site, off-work hours, she begins to tell them about her encounter as a professional that is a follower of Jesus Christ. And she made this statement to her. See, when I come to work every week for Nationwide Insurance, I don't go to work for Nationwide. I go to work for the Lord because the word says, work hardly as unto the Lord. She said, I work for Jesus Nationwide secondly. So I work for God and I work like every manager, every supervisor was Jesus himself. And all of a sudden people say, where do you go to church? Because I've never seen it on this way. And see, servant leaders are people that move from serving in the marketplace to ministry in the marketplace. And we do that by our lifestyle. What is your lifestyle convert, uh, uh, communicating to those men that, 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 that you work around? What's the communicating? What's your life communicating? Do you show up on time? Do you do what's expected and more than enough? Do you underpromise and overperform? All of those are indications of a God that's more than enough. Servant leaders move from serving the marketplace to ministering to the marketplace because there are people in the marketplace and Jesus at the end of the mark of the gospel mark is going to say go into all the world and preach the gospel and I think it's important for us to understand that the world is where people are and when Jesus went to call his disciples everyone Jesus called was doing something they weren't sitting around on the block they weren't sitting on the dock of the bay watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. Now, some of y'all didn't say nothing, and you know all about that, okay? <laughs> no, Jesus, everyone that he called was already doing something, so he went to the marketplace. And so I think that that's important. Now, how did Jesus begin to change your life? Well, change can be sudden, and can be incremental, and then it can also be revolutionary. That's the way change comes into life. It can be sudden. It can be incremental, planned out, strategic, and it can also be revolutionary. A sudden change is when you and I have miracles in our life. I once was blind, but now I see. 
See, yeah, that's a sudden change. It can also be incremental, and that could be where you could step in the change. You now move from being a man to a husband and then from a husband to being a father. So it's incremental, and you're learning all the time. And any of you men that are married, you understand uh, that you have to even learn about your wife, don't you? That's incremental change. I found out what women want. You want to know? Yeah. They don't know. <laughs> it's a Miz me. Slap a high five. Say the brother's right. Go ahead and tell him. That's it. I had to learn that. They don't know. You look at your wife. You say, hey, honey, let's go out to dinner. She said, okay, that's a fine idea. You go up, you shower, both of you get dressed, you get in the car, and you say, where do you want to go? And she says, you choose. You say, well, let's go to that nice Italian restaurant. No, I don't feel Italian tonight. You say, well, there's a nice Mexican restaurant up here. No, I don't feel that Latin stuff tonight either. You say, well, let's go to seafood restaurant. No, I don't feel seafood. Women don't know what they want. They know what they don't want. (laughs) So they know what they don't want in a man, too. Mm. And for me, that kind of change as a husband, part of it was sudden I'm married. I said, I do. And then it was done. And then it's become incremental trying to figure out what the woman wants. I discover she don't know. But then change can be <laughs> revolutionary. Revolutionary change is that if change doesn't happen from the top husbands and men and fathers, By decision, it'll happen from the bottom by revolution. And revolutionary change can be a governmental change or an authority change that happens rapidly. And Jesus changes these men from being blue-collar workers to saying, come and follow me. And he said, and your blue-collar work, your labor is going to be different. You're catching fish, natural things. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Does that make sense to you? Now, all of us work, but all of us don't work in the same way. Uh, a man found out I was a pastor in a board that I serve on, and he said, I understand that you pastor a church. And I said, yeah. And then he asked me, he said, are you a white-collar pastor or a blue-collar pastor? And I said, yes. <laughs> I said, I take care of sacred acts. That's my white-collar pastoring. I said, I pray, I pass communion, I preach the word, I pray and I anoint those. That's my white collar pastoring. And then I said, and then sometimes tables need to be moved, chairs need to be set up, floors need to be scrubbed. It's not in my job description. I said, but it needs to be done. And so even you and I who work, there's always that clause after it gives you your job description. It says, and whatever else is necessary to move ahead to corporation. And friends, Jesus takes these men through a transformational process. And you know the way that he does this? He says, follow me and I'll make you. He first calls them the followers. Just watch me. I'll model 
and learn of me. And he said, and if you'll watch and become students, then you'll be my followers. Next of all, he then wants to prepare them to be disciples because some of them that come to follow him, the 70 and then the 120 and then multitudes, but just a few move on to become disciples. And what is a disciple? Disciple is a, is a helper, a participant. Now Jesus not only says, follow me and watch me and learn of me, but he says, now what I want you to do is help me. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a helper. A disciple is a, a student that wants to learn. Now, here's what the disciple says. I want to know what my rabbi or my teacher knows. He says, I want to do what my rabbi or teacher does. I want to be like my rabbi or like my teacher. That's what a disciple is. Someone who wants to know what their rabbi or teacher knows. They want to do what their rabbi or teacher does. They want to be like their rabbi or like their teacher. So the way that that happens now, I have to participate. I watched you as a model, but now I need you to mentor and monitor my life. Now, mentoring is somebody that has wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and experience that passes it on to one that's being mentored in an appropriate way, in an appropriate fashion, so to facilitate empowerment, growth, and enablement. That's a mentoring relationship. Somebody that has great resources that passes that on, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, experience, even connections to someone that's being mentored in an appropriate way and in an appropriate fashion and at the right time so to facilitate growth and empowerment. And when you mentor somebody, you also have to model them, monitor them. You don't just turn things over to a novice, but you have modeled. Now you mentor, you pass on knowledge, and then all of a sudden you start monitoring. And that's why people go into apprenticeships where they get to do the work, but somebody's monitoring them. Sometimes people go in the time where they were in internships because they get to be doing the work, but then somebody is monitoring. Even after you finish your undergraduate degree in social work, you have to go through a time where you work with a supervisor, somebody to oversee you so that you and I might be qualified. Disciples were said to take the yoke of their rabbi. And, and, when, and when someone said, follow me and learn of me, and take my yoke upon you. The yoke of a rabbi was really his teaching. It was a, it was a figure of speech when he put his robe around him or his arm around him. And in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he said, take my yoke upon you. He says, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Elisha called Elisha, down in Abel Mehola. He put his man on him and he said, follow me. He said, I got to go home and say goodbye to my parents. He said, oh, what do I have to do with you? And he walked away. He burned the, uh, the plow, slaughtered the oxen, and he took up and he followed him. Now, it's rare to find people who want to learn and be taught today. Because we live in an information-free world. Through those little cell phones and those iPads, you and I, get unfiltered information all the time for all the pastors in here. We are being checked as we preach. People are fact checking us all the time when we preach. If I tell you that there are 350 million people in the United States, somebody's going to fact check me right now. And pretty soon they'll say there's actually 320 million people in the United States. We're being fact-checked all the time, and we get unfiltered information from sometimes credible 
and non-credible sources like Wikipedia. And friends, sometimes I call them non-credible because people can just add to it from their body to knowledge, but it doesn't make it true. And so what happens is it's tough to find people that want to learn because people think I know it all because I got this iPhone, smartphone. And some people don't have an iPhone or a smartphone. They still have a dumb phone. But they still pull information off of it and filter. And we get all this unfiltered information. And friends, it's tough to find people that want to learn today. See, a disciple. Here's a good definition for a disciple. Fill this in. A disciple is one that has the life, character, nature of their rabbi, the life, character, and nature of their rabbi or teacher. And our rabbi and teacher is Jesus. Jesus' life, over the word life, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you and I have the life of Jesus, that means that the Holy Ghost is operating in us. I can speak in tongues, have interpretation of tongues. I can prophesy. When I have the life of the Holy Ghost, I can give a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. I can give prophecy. When I have the life of God, I can do miracles and I can have faith. And I can also do, uh, and I can also do healings. That's the very life of God flowing out of me. And a, ra- and a, and a, and a disciple is somebody that has the life of God. He also has a character of God. Write over the word character, make a little line. Write down Galatians 522 over that little line in your notes right there. Galatians 522. And that's a character of Jesus. And that's called the fruit of the spirit. Cause why be able to do all the activity of the Holy Ghost, but not show any of his character. That's his love, joy, peace, long suffering, faithfulness, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. And when I have his character, people can see Jesus in me. They all and I see what he does, but they see how he lives. And then also having the nature of Jesus inside of us and in the life character and nature of Jesus the nature of Jesus just write down the word respond in any given situation when I have the character of Jesus I produce his life when I have his nature I produce his uh his his very response so I have his life first Corinthians 12 his character Galatians 5 22 and then his nature response When you read the book of Mark, we've been going through the book of Mark in our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. We're now over in Mark chapter 16. We've been in it for about a year and a half going expositorily through the book of Mark. And when I look at the book of Mark in Jesus, I'm looking at Jesus's leadership model in the book of life, in the book of Mark. So I'm talking about Jesus. He's my leader. And and then I talk about the situation he's in every week. And what I did at the beginning of the book, I find out Jesus had to deal with his critics at the beginning of the book. Jesus and his critics, people that criticized what he was doing and when he was doing it, usually on what day he did things on. Then when he gets in the middle of the book, Jesus, we have to deal with Jesus and his betrayers, leadership and betrayal. And then at the end of the book, we have to deal with leadership, Jesus and his accusers. Because people start accusing him of all kind of stuff he didn't do. And then at the end of the very book, he starts dealing with Jesus and his And his tormentors, those are people that met him and nailed him at the cross and scourged him. Leadership and uh, critics, leadership and betrayal, leadership and accusers, leadership and tormentors, and then leadership and resurrection. Because I don't care how much they criticize you. I don't care how much they betray you. I don't care how much they accuse you or torment you. If you stay in Christ, you will rise again. So we're looking at that very fast-moving gospel. It wasn't fast-moving for us. It took us a year and a half to get through it. 
But we're looking at the nature of Jesus. And what I did is that the nature of Jesus, when you respond, the way Jesus would respond. I looked at how Jesus respond when somebody spit on him. They just went. <clears throat> now, see, I came from inner city, Columbus, Ohio. And to spit on somebody was worse than calling their mama a name. And I know how to respond to somebody spitting on you. Look at, your ne- look at the man next to you that's looking all holy and sanctified. Look at him and tell him, and so do I. Go ahead and tell him. <laughs> but when Jesus, when I became his disciple, he started working on my nature. And I found out that you just can't respond the way you want to respond. You have a good job. And somebody comes and says something to you off the handle. Listen, you and I just can't respond the way we want to respond. I, I have an iPhone that uh, somebody gave me a gift card to Verizon. So I got me a new iPhone. And, uh, and it was interesting. Uh, my wife showed me this uh, this uh, this feature on there, and she was walking me through. You know, when you get these devices anymore, they don't give you user manuals. You got to figure it out yourself. So my grandkids helped me with some. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? No. <laughs> my wife helped me with some, but then she told me, now listen, whenever you have a, 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 a question, she said, push this one button, hold it down, and series will come on. Now, my series is a female voice. And, and, and I'm calling to ask Siri a question. I said, how are you today, Siri? She said, it's not about me. <laughs> and I said, well, excuse me. She said, you excuse, how may I help you? I said, Siri, where are you located? She said, what do you need to know that for? <laughs> and I said, Siri, I was just curious. And then Siri said, that's one. And I said, that's one. Yeah, because you know, you three strikes, you're out. So sometimes my technology won't even help me. Now, some of my colleagues have tried to convince me that's an African-American woman inside that phone. (laughs) What you need to know that for? It's not about me. That's one. I say, yeah, that sounds like some African-American woman I know that will remain nameless. And you got to learn. And part of the journey is not responding the way we should. Now, how does that happen? Acts chapter 1, 8, I'm talking about moving from followers to disciples. Acts number 1 and verse number 8, it says this. It says, and you shall receive what? After what? It's come where? And you shall be what? Witnesses to who? To me, he says, you're going to be witnesses to me, not witnesses of the world, but witness to me. In other words, you're going to be a witness to me. And that word witness is from the root word that we get the word martyrs. You're going to be willing to die out to yourself for me so that I can shine through you. You're willing to die out to yourself, your own response and reaction for me so that you can show forth me to the world. You'll be witnesses unto me, martyrs. Some literally lost their lives. 
Some lost their lives in losing themselves so that Jesus shined forth in them. And some people, their response was so much like Jesus that even though they were Galileans and unlearned men, they knew they had been with Jesus. That's when you know you have the nature of Christ. So a disciple is just simply one that has the life, character, and nature of Jesus in them. Now, why don't more people move from just being followers to being disciples? Think about this before we go to our final point. The reward of a faithful worker, which is what a disciple is, a faithful worker, the reward of a faithful worker is more work. You ask why more people don't move from becoming followers to the disciples because when you're a disciple, you got to work and the reward of faithful workers is more work. Lean on the man next to you and say, get the work. Go ahead, lean on him. Go ahead, lean on him. Tell him, get the work. Yeah, go ahead. Tell him, uh, now push on him. Tell him, tell him, that's why I'm so tired. Because you see, so few move from followers to workers because they don't want any more work. So they start sitting down and not doing something. So you got a handful of men doing all the work. I mean, they're on the ushers one Sunday. They're in the choir the next Sunday. They're being greeters the next time. They're setting up the table. I said, push on the man next to you. Say, get to work. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is your chance now. Go ahead. Push on that man. Push on him. Tell him, get to work. If you're faithful with little things, he'll give you more work. <laughs> and a lot of people never move from followers to disciples because they don't want any more work. But that's the reward. Be faithful as a worker over small things. I'll make you ruler over much. Let's look at our final point. What he wants to do is move you from follower to a disciple. Watch this now to an apostle, and that's an ambassador for him. He wants to put you out on the marketplace so that you and I can shine. Let's talk. An apostle is one that has been sent in the name of his rabbi. Or teacher. An apostle is a disciple who has been mm -hmm, processed. Oh, Lord. Tested. Mm, developed. Trained. And then an apostle is sent. He's just an ambassador or servant leader by an authority. An apostle is sent, one that is delegated in power. An apostle is sent to accomplish a specified task. That's all an apostle is. Now, Jesus put it like this. Jesus said, came to them and he said, and he spoke to them and he said, listen, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of his son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen. You and I, when we're sent forth as an ambassador, God now has put a stamp of approval on your forehead. Bam. He said, you've been processed. You've been tested. You've been developed. You've been trained. Now I'm ready to send you out and let the public view you. Amen. God puts no untested merchandise on his market. Real simple. Everything he sends forth, he first must process. He must test. He must develop. And then he must train. 
And friend, after that process is finished and while it's going on, then he says, now you're ready to go forth. And he still monitors us for a while. Then we multiply because he tells you, now you turn around and do that for somebody else. Now, listen, the journey into this kind of change being sent forth is painful. It takes time, but it also is worth it because people need to know that people have been tested. I have a young man in our church who's called as a pastor. I'm training him to that end. But every time he takes one step forward, it almost like he gets two steps back. I mean, he gets fired from a job. He gets another good job. And then all of a sudden his landlord says, listen, you've been leasing this house, but now I want to put it on the market. If you can't buy it, you got to be out. So now he's got to move his family. Now he's moved his family, gets him settled in, and his wife loses her job. Company's going out of business. And then and he comes to me, apostle, he said, I know I'm called by God. I know I got the anointing. Why is it so hard? I said, because God puts no unproven merchandise out on his market. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? He said, yeah, I've been studying Joseph. I said, oh, boy, you're reading the right story. Because in the story of Joseph, we see a man that had a God-given dream, and he shares it with his brothers, and then he gets thrown in a pit. He then just gets thrown in the Potiphar's house or in the prison in Potiphar's house, then back to prison. And the next thing you know, he ascends to the palace, and finally his dream comes true, but then he's gone through testing and through proving and through time. Friends, God puts no unproven merchandise out on this market. And the greater your call and the further your reach and the greater your impact, the more the testing, the proving, and the training and the development will take. Greater call, greater proving. Think about Jesus. He's going to be the savior of the world. We see him at birth. We see him at 12 years old. Goes into the temple. Parents leave. Travel three days. Jesus ain't there. They look all through the place. Say, Where's Jesus? He ain't here. Got to go back three days journey back to Jerusalem. Looking for Jesus. Six days. That's a week. Parents get in there. Come in the temple and Jesus sitting down talking. And asking and answering questions with the scholars. They said, Jesus, don't you think we would have been? Concerned about you? He said, don't y'all know it's time for me to be about my father's business? Twelve years old, a young uh, Galilean would begin to learn his father's craft. Well, he had Joseph as a carpenter, as a father, but he also had God who had sent him as his heavenly father. You know what happened to Jesus? Talking about testing, proving, and training. Mary and Joseph take him down, back home, and for the next 18 years, you hear nothing about Jesus. That's an 18-year lockdown. <laughs> 18 years of obscurity look at a young person around you say you think you got it bad tell them tell them tell them you think you got it bad no no they locked Jesus down for 18 years and by the time he comes out he comes out and say I gotta get baptized man you know by the time he comes out he finds John and he's baptized then he launches the greater the reach the greater the call, the more impactful the call, the more the testing. Let's close this out. Because some of you are being tested right now. You're wondering why. You're wondering if you're out of the will of God. Did you not hear from God right? Did you not believe his word right? And sometimes 
It's just preparation that God is transforming your life, changing you from a follower to a disciple so he can send you forth as an ambassador that I have written here as an apostle, that he's sending you forth as an anointed one. An apostle is sent to accomplish a specified task. God knows what he wants you to accomplish. Your journey into change includes four things, and we close. First of all, when God calls you to change, you may go into denial. You say, he can't be serious. I know how to catch catfish, perch. Well, probably in the Jewish area, they wouldn't have been catching catfish because they couldn't eat any kind of fish with skin but no scales, okay? So they probably would have been catching perch, probably would have been catching the, uh, the Galilean fish that had fins and scales. They would have been out there, and they say, I know how to do that. I don't know how to be a fisherman. They get into denial, first step. Next one, write down resistance. And resistance can be active or passive. Resistance can be that you say, I'm not going to make the journey. I'm not going to change. So you dig in your heels. The next one will be exploration. Exploration is the next journey where you stay in resistance and in denial too long, you'll die. But if you begin to explore what God has said and what you have heard in your spirit, then you started looking at the new possibilities. You begin to examine what if I do make these changes, what will it be? Wonder if I go back to school and get that associate degree. Wonder if I go back to school and earn that master's degree. Wonder if I press ahead. Wonder if I quit where I am and go where I know I'm supposed to be. What will be? I begin to explore the possibility. I go from denial, can't be serious, to resistance. I'm not going to do it. It could be passive or active. Some people that are active say, I'm not going to make the change. Some people that are passive, when they say they're changing the computer platform from PC to, uh, to Apple, they're going to go now to Mac. All of a sudden, some people won't give up the passcode to the computer. We need to change the platform. We want to transfer your information. Give us your passcode. Well, uh, uh, what do you need that for? Because I need to see why you're on eBay three hours a day. And you're supposed to be working. But I also want to transfer your information. So some people are inactive. And then the last one is just acceptance. Now, make a cross on your page over there next to that little piece in your notes. Make a cross uh, so that you have four quadrants. And let me tell you the way that this kind of goes in your change journey. I'll pull down my screen right here. Everybody see my screen? Everybody see the screen? So I got my cross here. Upper left-hand corner, write down denial. Upper left-hand corner, denial. You got that? Everybody see that? You see that? Okay. Your head's a little big. Move over so the brother... In back, you can see, okay? Good, good, all right? Denial. Lower left-hand quadrant, write down resistance, okay? Lower right-hand quadrant, write down exploration, looking at the new possibilities. And then upper right-hand quadrant, write down the word acceptance. Now, as I close, I want you to understand that I used to think that that when, when, when the leader, the manager, God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, your spouse announces a vision for change, that we would go from visionary cast, vision casters, to visionary acceptance. And I call acceptance buy-in. I used to think as a young pastor, when I fasted and prayed and sought God, found out where we're supposed to go, I cast vision up here and I throw it out there and people went from vision all the way over to buy-in. Look at your neighbor and say he was ignorant. Look at him and tell him he was ignorant. (laughs) 
What I've discovered, and I do this every time we get ready to make a change in staff. I say, now you're going to go through a change journey. First of all, you're going to say, and they don't call me apostle then. They say, Lafayette must be crazy. They say he could not be serious, so they start off with denial. Then it goes into active and passive resistance. Active resistance, some people come up and they're active, and I appreciate them. They tell me, I don't like what you just said, and I ain't going to change. It's the way it is, buddy. And I say, remember, you work for me. And they say, well, we got a board of directors. I say, I don't care. I was here before they were. But some are passive. They just keep the rumor mill going below the surface. Have private meetings, make decisions that I'm unaware of. So the decision and the deal is already done by the time I come to the meeting. It's resistance. And I found that they go there. Israel stayed over here. Denial that God was going to bring them into the land. Resistance that he had the ability to bring them into the land. And if you stay over in that quadrant, you'll die. You'll die in the wilderness because it's not willing to change. But if you can begin to come over like Joshua and Caleb and explore the possibilities, I believe we're more than well able to go into the land. I believe that we can go in and possess the land. You begin to explore the possibilities. Then in the exploration of the possibilities, you and I will say, well, let's give God a chance and let's buy in and let's do what God said. And you and I will go into the change. Now, two questions I want you to deal with. Where are you on this change quadrant? With the changes that are being proposed in your life, whether as a man, a husband, as a father, as a businessman, as a marketplace worker, are you at a place of denial? Are you at a place of resistance? Are you at a place of, change, uh, of acceptance? No. Are you at the place of expiration? Are you at a place of change? Listen to me. Also deal with the question inside yourself. What are you doing to advance beyond that quadrant? And all I want to see men happen this year in 2016, can you move one step in this quadrant? If you are in denial or resistance, can you move over to at least exploration this year? If you're in exploration, considering the possibility, can you move into buy-in this year? Can you move one step towards buy-in? Now, friends, if you can do that, if you can locate where you are and then make a commitment to move one step beyond, you and I can change our world. I've been married for a little while. I got married in 1974. When I got married in 1974, let me talk to you about change. When I used to write, when I used to hear the word we, I thought that we meant we, we, us together. That's what I thought we meant. We, we. But as I've been married for almost 40 years now, I found out we don't mean we. There's also we, you. A we, you would be like. We need to take out the trash. Now, that's not a we, we. That's a we, you. But when I first got married, I thought that we meant we, we. But I'm also finding out that it's a we, you. That was a change for me. Then I'm also finding out that there's not only a we, we and a we, you, but there's a we, me. 
My wife one time said, I was in a jewelry store and I saw this great ring, but we don't have enough money to buy it. Now, is that a we, we don't have enough money to buy it? Is that a we, you, Lafayette Scales, don't have enough money to buy it? Or is that a we, me, don't have enough money to buy it? That was a we, me. (laughs) And so now when my wife says, uh, I saw that the ministry trip that you had scheduled and got canceled. And she says, why don't we go to Nashville? And I said, now, what we is that? She said, that's a we we. I said, okay, let me go on the internet and get some airline tickets and rent a car. Then she says, why don't we drive? (laughs) Now, is that a we we? Is that a we me? That's a we. So guess who wound up driving all the way to Nashville and all the way back? So I gave you some ammunition when you go home. The next time you hear the word we, you can ask, is that a we, we? Is that a we, you? Or is that a we? You're smart men here this morning. I want to pray for our journey into change. I want you to locate yourself. Are you a follower? Are you a disciple? Are you an ambassador is being sent because you've been proved, tried, tested, and now he says, let me put you out there. Locate the quadrant that you're in. And are you willing to move one quadrant this morning to become fishers of men? If so, we can explode our churches with brand new souls coming into the kingdom. Father, we are servant leaders changing our world, but to change our world, we must first change ourselves. I pray, Father, that we might know the changing world that we're living in. We'll come to know it better this week. And Father, that we will be willing to change is my prayer. And Father, as you change us, our commitment is to go forth and to change our world. We thank you for this now. Make us servant leaders that are change agents in Jesus' name. And all of God's men said, Amen. Amen.